0: Well, if you would once again take your Bibles and turn to First John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 as we continue in our study of 1 John. Title of the message this morning is Love for One Another. Uh, Just by way of review, last time we were in 1 John, we looked at verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3, and we saw several characteristics of a genuine child of God. And we learned that one of the greatest characteristics of a genuine child of God is that they seek to not have patterns of sinfulness in their life. Uh, they want to get away from those lifestyles or those patterns of sinfulness. And we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have the ability to overcome and to live the holy life that God has called us to. But we don't want that to be a normal part of our daily life. We saw that in verses 4 through 10. As we look at this next text of Scripture here, John urges his readers to do something that they have heard many, many times. And let me, before I even go any further, before you read, before you look ahead and see what the topic is, the bottom line is it's really easy because we've heard a topic like this so many times in our life. If you've grown up in church, you've been to church for any amount of time, you know that this is a topic that's all throughout Scripture, to love one another, And one of the easiest things to do when we hear a topic that we already think we're familiar with is to kind of just go in coast mode. Kind of just, oh, I've heard this before, I've heard things like this before, Uh, I've heard messages on this before. Just kind of coast and say, well, I got this down, I know what it's all about. Can I just challenge you, don't do that today. Fight it with everything within you to say that there may be something new that God wants to speak to me about concerning the love of God and how we're to love others. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's just easy not to love others. Uh, or maybe, should I say it this way, to like others. I ask my wife every once in a while, I said, I know you love me, but do you like me? That's a different subject. But God calls us to love one another, right? Especially those who are in the body of Christ. God calls us to that. So I hope that you are practicing that. And so don't go into coast mode. So John urges his readers... To do something that they've heard many, many, many times before. And that is to love one another. And you know, the word love in this text comes from the Greek word that you've heard many times. Agape love. Agapao. And it's a word that really means to love as God loves in a social or moral sense. But there's something more that we don't often think about. Something that God's word implies... And it's something that's in the text that we don't really think about, or we don't really draw out of a lot. And it's this, the idea that this love is deliberate. It's deliberate. It's not just happenstance. It's not just coincidental. If I see somebody, I'll love them. This love, this agape love that God has commanded us to love one another with is a deliberate kind of love. The thing that impresses me as I read through a passage like this is once I've, I've heard it all a million times, but the second thing is this: How did God love us? I, I could stop right up here and say, you know, uh, you know, Penny, Penny, God, 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 she's thankful for God's love through His forgiveness, and she'd be right. I can look at Jessica and say, well, I'm thankful for God's mercy today. I can look at Melinda and say, well, I'm thankful for God's grace. And a million other things, if we go round and round to every person in this room, you could think of a characteristic that really demonstrates God's love to mankind, right? We could all do that. One characteristic, one aspect of his love that we are really appreciative and thankful for. And then he says, I want you to love one another with that same love. That's not always easy. But before I get into it any further, I want you to keep in mind as we read through this text, we're to love as God loves. Let me read the text here in first John chapter three. I want to begin reading with verse ten, but we're going to concentrate on verses eleven through eighteen. But beginning with verse ten it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Right off the bat he says, your Manifestation of who you are, how you live, your actions, your reactions, are going to give credence to one of two things. Either you're a child of God, or you're a child of the devil. There is no other middle ground. It's one or the other. So he says, "Who uh, in verse 10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So he says right off the bat, if you don't have love for a brother, you're not a child of God. And when you think about that, those are harsh words. So, say, well, I love others, really? Once again, think about how God loves us. Am I thankful for His forgiveness? Do I show forgiveness to others? Do I, do I demonstrate God's love by showing forgiveness to others? Do I demonstrate God's love by showing mercy to others? Do I demonstrate God's love by giving grace to others? And all the other characteristics by which God demonstrates His love to us, do we display that to others? And by this, he says, it's manifest, it's made known whether or not you're a child of God or a child of the devil, by our actions. So now, verse eleven is where we're going to start. It says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death, and whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Lord God, I pray that you help us today as we look at your word. May we apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, may we be honest about our love for one another. And I pray that you be glorified through all that is said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So God, in his word here, in 1 John chapter 3, urges us right away in our text today to love one another. We know that primarily the book of 1 John is written to believers. And the other thing that comes to my mind often as I read through a passage like this, and it has a theme of this, is why does he mention this so often? I mean, if you read through the book of John, through many of the Gospels, through even in the Old Testament, over and over he says, we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love our neighbor as ourself. We're to love each other in the body of Christ. Why does he tell us to do that so often? I have to admit that if he's telling us to do it so often, it's probably because we are needing a reminder to do it, and then we're not doing it the way we should, right? I mean, I don't know the last time we had to tell our kids something just once because they just got it, and they never had to remind them again, just like we did when we were kids. God, as our Heavenly Father, reminds us as his children over and over and over again, this should be in your life. This should be an example of one who truly follows me. So the first thing John reminds his reader is of the fact that this is not a new message. It doesn't necessarily mean new in the sense that we've never heard this before. Because obviously they had heard it numerous times. But it was something they needed to be reminded of over and over and over again. So it was a message that came from the beginning of time a uh, reminder in John chapter 8 verse 34 he says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you love one another so when i think about that love i don't know about you but love is demonstrated in a thousand different ways from god the father through jesus christ to us it's demonstrated in so many ways and so many characteristics I, but i wonder how often do we love others as god has loved us I don't know about you, I I speak from my own example because I know that you're probably better than this, but when's the last time we withheld forgiveness from somebody? I mean, God forgives us, but well, you don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand what they said about me. You don't know how they deceived me. You don't know what they did behind your back and behind my back. You don't understand. If you did, you would have the same response. Really? Because God says, if you don't forgive your brother, neither will your Father in Heaven forgive you. But... We love one another. We exercise love every day. We practice love. We encourage one another in love. And yet, that person, no, that person don't deserve it. They get get what's coming to them. Or how about mercy or grace? How many of us experience God's mercy and grace every day? How many of us? Right, all of us. But how come we don't always want to extend mercy and grace to those around us? I don't know about you, but I get irritated. And I can justify and rationalize and excuse why I do and why it's okay. I think in my flesh. But according to the Spirit, no. According to God's Word, no. We cannot walk away and say that's okay. So he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You all start to love one another. And as we said, it's not necessarily a new commandment, because why? This was the commandment that was given back in Leviticus chapter uh, 19 and verse 18. And yet, he says again, it's an entirely new commandment. And he says this in John chapter 13, verse 34, and in John chapter 15. So he says over and over, we need the reminder to love as God has commanded us to love. And it needed to be repeated often. But think about this. What is love? By definition, it's a, the def- definition I've used for years is love is a decision that results in an action and expects nothing in return. Whether or not that person chooses to accept my love is irrelevant to the fact that I'm supposed to do it, right? Uh, whether or not that person understands how deeply my love to them is, is irrelevant because I'm still commanded to do it. See, love is a decision. I choose to love because God has commanded me to love. And it says in 1 John that we love Him because He what? First loved us. How many of us were worthy of that love when He began to love us? Not a one of us. Not one of us was worthy of God's sacrificial love. And yet He loves us. And He says we're to love in the same way. The bottom line is, Love is a decision. I choose to love because it's part of my obedience to God's word. I choose to love. And in my choosing to love, I choose to love others as God has loved me. My flesh wants to do something totally different. But my spirit says, I need to obey God and do what he's asked of me. So, think about this too. The word... Agape, agapeo, which means to love as God loves in a social or remorse sense, but as God loves towards mankind was deliberate, so should our love be deliberate. We are choosing to deliberately, focused on others, love them. So once John declares the theme of this text, he then gives an illustration as to what this love is not. So he gives the command, you're to love others as Christ has loved you. And then he says, this is how you don't do it. Look at verse uh, tw- uh, 12, I believe it is. He says, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Turn your Bibles back to the book of Genesis chapter 4. Um, and you may say, well, that's pretty obvious. That's not how you love someone, by killing them. Uh, but this is exactly what Cain did. He, look at verse 1 with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should not, you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So he tells us in our text in 1st John chapter 3, do not love this way, because that's not love. Um, I know that Cain and Abel both offered an offering to God. Abel's was accepted, uh, Cain's was not. And the bottom line is that Cain was so angry with his brother that he went out and had a talk with him, and he rose up and killed him. Uh, Abel's offering was offered out of a life of righteousness and and obedience to God, while Cain's offering was offered amidst a life of evil deeds. Now think about this for a moment. Can you imagine being so angry with your brother, your literal, physical brother, that you would kill him? You know, here's the thing. You say, well, that's just terrible. That's awful. But you know it happens all the time? If you've ever watched any of the Discovery channels, if you've ever watched TLC or watched 48 Hours or, you know, what, Forensic Files, it happens all the time. It literally happens all the time. Where one family member kills another family member. And here's why Pride and jealousy and selfishness is a deep rooted bitterness that, that, that can take root and destroy. Bitterness destroys. Jealousy destroys. Pride destroys. And it's all rooted in selfishness and it destroys. All the time. It's amazing how we can deceive ourselves into thinking that our deeds, our works, our thoughts, our actions are so much better than what they really are. You ever met that person who has all the answers? If you just do this, you'll be okay. And when you don't do what they said you should do, then they're mad at you. Because their way is right. You know, that's kind of the situation here. The bottom line is this. There are so many people in life who think that what they're saying is right. They think that what they believe is the ultimate truth. They believe that what they're telling you is good advice. When in essence, it may not be. And when you affect a man's pride, when you affect a man's... When a man gets jealous and selfish, he'll do almost anything to justify himself. That's the root and the flesh of mankind. Um, so... It's amazing how we can think that what we're saying, what we're thinking, what we're doing is better than it actually is. And the only way to know the truth of it is to compare it through the filter of God's Word. And so we need to be careful that we don't let those roots of bitterness, those roots of anger, those roots of selfishness take root and become stronger and stronger in our lives. Here's another thing. Genuine love always seeks the good of others. Selfishness seeks the good of self. Genuine love always seeks the good of others. Selfishness seeks the good of self. By our actions, are we showing that we're genuinely giving love to others? Or that we're being selfish because there's something to gain through what we're doing? What we're saying? How we're acting? What are our motives? Based on our own actions, whose good are we living for? Ours or others? I think many men and women have done some foolish things thinking they were good. We need to be careful. Because root of bitterness can, take root, can get stronger and deceive and destroy. Look at verse 13 in our text here in 1 John chapter 3. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. That's hard. Is there anybody that just wants the world to hate you? Everybody enjoy it when people love you? Right. We all want everyone just... I mean, can't we all just get along? I mean, can't we all just do what's right? Can't we all just like get agree with one another and get along and play nice together? The reality is, that's not reality. We live in a world that hates Christianity. Uh, in John... In fact, turn your Bibles to, to John chapter 15, just for a moment... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 15. And look at verses 18 and 19. It says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I don't think that there's ever been a day, and maybe I'm wrong... But it seems like today, especially, the world hates Christians. It's amazing. I'll give you an example of that in just a moment. But here's what I find amazing. I find it amazing to consider that God loved us enough to leave the splendor of heaven. To come down to this earth because he loved us. Think about that for a moment. He left the splendor of heaven. He healed the sick and healed the leper. Gave sight to the blind. Healed the lame. Taught and gave wisdom to those who would listen and those who wanted it. He uh, he fed the hungry. He cast out demons and even raised the dead. He did that because he loved us. And yet the world hated him. But God's word tells us in the gospel that he came unto his own and his own received him not. They hated him. He claimed to be a king. They didn't want him as their king. They hated him. And he says, marvel not if the world hates you, because they hated me first. Why? Because he stood for truth. He proclaimed truth. He exposed sin and hypocrisy in a world that hated him for doing just that. I find today that it's hard to find balanced news that is just that, news. I find that no matter who you watch or get your news from, it seems like it's all coming from an angle. It's coming from a perspective. It's coming from somebody's own prejudices. It's not just, oh, there was a fire down the road. It's, do you believe what the so-and-so did? They set that fire on purpose. And, blah, blah, and they give all the commentary and tell you what to believe rather than just reporting the news. Well, what would have happened five years ago, ten years ago, even 20 years ago, if I would have publicly put out on a, some type of newspaper, of course our newspaper of today is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is that you use. But can you imagine 20 years ago, if you were to put a statement that says, I hate the president, and we should rise up and shoot him. You'd have the Secret Service at your door. 20 years ago, you would have been in jail for it. You'd have been in court, and yet we see it every day now. There is no respect for authority. There's no respect for anybody who agrees differently than what I agree with. So I was listening to the news yesterday on one of the I think one of the few places, the Daily Wire, where you can get sometimes most of the time unbiased news. That there was a journalist who put out, I hate the F-word Christians. And if I could, I would beat every last one of them until they died. He goes, they're doing the very things that Jesus condemns them for. They're all hypocrites. And I thought to myself, wow. He's not mincing words. He's not holding anything back. He's just proclaiming what he believes in his heart. Out of the the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The world hates Christianity and what we stand for. The world hates the truth and the principles found in God's Word. And God's Word reminds us, marvel not. They didn't, if they hate you, they hated me first. So how do we respond to that? Because in my flesh, I'm like, yeah, really? You want to try what? As, as Phil Robertson said, that's a special kind of stupid. But the bottom line is we want to deal with that, right? Because in our flesh, we want to take care of people who don't treat us right. Right? Anybody? I'm not the only one, right? Thank you. So, how do we respond to this? We live in a world that is not friendly to people who stand on the truth of God's word. How do we respond to that? He says, love. I don't want to love. It's easy to love these people, but it's not so easy to love these people. And why do I have to love them too? I want to take my marbles and go home. Right? Love, and love is a decision, and it's deliberate. We do it because he's commanded us to do it. And I think some people respond, and we've said it before, you've heard it before, but hurt people hurt people, right? When people have been hurt and they don't respond right, they often hurt other people. And they need Jesus. How do we expect a world that doesn't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus? The world around us needs to see the love of Christ practiced, implemented, performed daily. The world will look for any excuse to hate on Christians. And we must not give them an excuse. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says this Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is conduct? Conduct is our manner of living. How we choose to live our life every day. It's our actions. It's our reactions. It's our speech. It's, it's what we say. How we say it. There's a watching world everywhere we go. Unfortunately, the world... I mean, have you ever been in a world where it's like something happens and all of a sudden the phone's up recording? I mean, we live in a world it's like it's instantaneous If there's something to be seen or recorded, somebody's got a phone out right then and there, immediately recording it. We are living in a world that is watching those of us who claim to know Jesus. He says in verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And let me just say this. As we are going forward in a world that is not really loving on Christians, we need to stand together. It says one spirit, one mind, as we strive together for the gospel. We need each other, folks. Whether you realize it or not, whether you believe it or not, we need each other. We're stronger together. And then it goes on to say something else in verse 28 that I love. It says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you salvation and that from God. Not terrified. How many of you get terrified at times? Be honest. I could say some of us get terrified when you are in certain parts of the city. You get terrified. Or if not in certain parts of the city, at certain times at certain parts of the city. Why? Because there's people. And people who aren't doing what's right. And you're an outsider. And they're going to probably mug you or shoot you or attack you. At least that's what we think, right? Probably never will, but we think they will. And they might. But there's a fear. You know, I grew up in Minneapolis. And I remember going out witnessing and soul winning and inviting people to church on, on weeknights down in the heart of Minneapolis. And I never really had a fear for that. There are other people who are deathly afraid of going into the city and what it would look like being down in there. And I, 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 maybe it's because I was bigger than most of the adults at 13. I don't know. <laughs> I might have something to do with it. Uh, but I've never had a lot of fear about that. But you know what? We shouldn't have fear in the world that we live in. There is a world that doesn't understand us, that hate what they don't understand, that reflects on hate towards us, and we're not to be terrified of it. Greater is he that is in you than he that is what? in the world. We have the strength. For, Romans 1 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God has not given us the spirit, the spirit of fear, Second Timothy tells us, but one of power and love and sound mind. We don't have to walk about in fear. So he says in verse 28, And not in any way terrified by your adversary, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you a salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. So he says, not to be afraid, but in not being afraid, you may suffer some. Anybody enjoy that thought? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through anything hardship. I don't want anything that's adverse. I want things to just go perfectly smooth all the time. But he says, don't be afraid of the adversaries, even though you may suffer from it. It's a mindset that we have to accept. I look around at what's going on, and I don't think it's going to get better. It's never going to get better. But we still have God. We still have God. We need to remember that often. Here's another thought. And this won't come as... Pleasant, and some of you may disagree with this. But if in our standing for the truth, we have no enemies, we need to make sure that we have not compromised. Let me say that again. If in our standing for the truth, we have no enemies, we need to make sure that we have not compromised. Because my Bible tells us that if we stand for what's right, the world is going to hate us. There's a balance. I I don't want anybody to hate me. I I, I really don't. If if you like people to hate you and you like confrontation, you're just crazy. I I, I like everyone to like me. But here's the thing I found. I have to constantly struggle in my mind what to say, when to say it, how to say it to certain people. Because no matter what I say or how I say it or if I should say it, it's not going to be taken right. I mean, just hit a hit a hot topic button. Politics. I got some clear opinions about that, as many of you do. But it's a non-winning conversation, and I want to scream, "You idiot! Don't you understand? Can you not see?" But that's not godly. It's not spirit-filled, and it's not going to get me ahead anywhere. As my wife says, "Do you want to be right, or do you want a relationship?" I want both. Well, you're not going to get both if you go down this road, right? Because we all have opinions, and we don't want to let them up. Or, hot topic, mask. If you make me wear a mask, I'm not coming to church. If you don't make everyone wear a mask, I'm not coming to church. I get it on both sides. But out of love and respect for the other, what's it going to hurt? But we have opinions. Opinions. And we're standing strong on our opinion. It may not be right, but I never in doubt. But it's my opinion. There are hot topics that if we go down that road, somebody's going to get upset. So there's a constant struggle. Do I want to go down this road? Or do I just want to bring glory to God in everything that I can so that I don't detract or distract from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Some of us haven't learned that yet. And some of us are still learning that. We don't want to let down. But if we have no enemies, we need to make sure that we have not compromised. The world wants to have a religion and a gospel that fits what they want. They want a a religion and a gospel that will allow them to be spiritual, but not that spiritual. The world wants a religion and and, and a, a spirituality that fits who they are, or who they want to be. But it doesn't work that way. And because we want to be accepted, many of us compromise and are hypocritical in some of these areas that we should stand firm on. Let's not be. Let's be careful that we don't compromise. That we don't become hypocritical in our desire to be accepted. John reminds us all of what love is not. And now he reminds us of what love is in verse 14, back in our text. Verse 13 says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Verse 14 Now we know that we have passed from death to life because we have love for the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So love is active towards especially brothers in Christ. How is this love exercised amongst brethren? I think there's probably, to me, one of of my favorite characters in the Bible is a, if I could say it this way, he's not a well-known person. We hear a little bit about him. But if you would take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. I love this. This is the body of Christ demonstrating the love of God in a practical way. So in Acts chapter 4, beginning verse 32, he says this, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed it to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, by the apostles, oops, turn the page here, which translated son of encouragement, a Levite in the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought it the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what's so significant about this passage? It was the church, people who claimed the name of Christ, living out the love of God. There's no greater picture in my mind than the body of Christ demonstrating themselves as a family with love towards one another. Let me just break it down. So-and-so over here had a need. So-and-so over here says, I have an excess. I can sell it and give it to you. No problem. All things were common. No one had need because... If there was a need known, they took care of it. That's the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. We should be there for one another. You may have a need, this person has excess? Meet the need. It's not about what I can get in return. Remember, because love is a decision that results in action, expects nothing in return. I'm doing it not because I want to be their best friend, not because I expect them to do something for me later, not because they are the head of, this, of the company that I work for, and it might raise me up the ladder a little bit. I'm doing it because this is how I can show God's love, no other reason. So in this body, those who had excess said, I can sell it. We're going to give it to, the, to the, the apostles and we're going to lay it at their feet and they're going to distribute it so everybody's needs are met. That's the love of God being demonstrated by the body of Christ. I don't think there's hardly a better picture of love than that, apart from Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Barnabas in verse 36, 37, what a picture of sacrificial love. And you know, this love is too difficult for some people. How do I know that? I'm not going to take the time to read it, but in Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler, the rich young man, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 21, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord their God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Question. He later says to go and sell everything you have and then follow me. Did he do it? No. is too hard. And you and I can relate to that. Really, we can. I mean, who of us has stuff that we've worked 30 years for, 20 years for, 10 minutes for, that it's our sweat, it's our labor, it's our energy, it's our effort, and just give it away. It's not easy. We, we come close to doing that once when we traveled as an evangelist. We got rid of everything in our house. We, we gave it away. We I mean, it's just funny. we just like, yeah, take it. Yeah, take it. We had stuff. It was like the giveaway garage sale. We, we, we got rid of everything in our house. We went on the road. We traveled. We went from church to church, state to state, did everything for a while and, and, and had all these things and got rid of it all. It's like, and all of a sudden, a year later or a couple years later, we're in a church pastoring again. And I look around. And I was like, God, we got so much junk around here. How did this happen? We gave away 95% of what we owned, and now I have double what I gave away. How does this happen? Anybody else just have this magic accumulation button in your home? It happens. But it's hard for some people to give stuff away. It's hard for some people to say, eh, go for it, take it. Some people can't do it. But he reminds us in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this all will know that you're my disciples by our love. Love is a decision that results in action, expects nothing in return. By our love for one another, that's what will demonstrate and exemplify my love for Christ. Back to our text in first John three, verse fifteen. It says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So in verse 15, we see another aspect of love, or should we say the opposite of love? John says that the one who hates his brother is a murderer. In the gospel, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, John says that anyone who is actually angry with a brother is a murderer. That's pretty harsh. Very strong tone, isn't it? But you know, I've met so many people, even within the body of Christ, that hate somebody. They hate somebody. Hate is one of those, and anger towards a brother, especially when it's somebody you're close to, I guess is no different than murder. Several years ago, I had to deal with that. I was holding some bitterness and some anger towards somebody. That I was close to. And so as I was traveling. I went up to this person. And I said I just want you to know. That God has dealt with me in my life. And I just want you to know. That I forgive you. And the look on their face. Was just like. Just could have knocked them over with a feather. And they just began to weep. See. Most of the time, when you're angry towards somebody, it's not taking up any space in their brain, but it certainly is in yours. And God's Word makes it very clear that if you are unwilling to forgive your brother, and remember, love demonstrated partly in forgiveness by the love of Christ. He says, if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father in Heaven forgive you. There comes a point where you need to be willing to forgive and lose the anger There was somebody I was counseling a few years ago. Every other word of their mouth was something that happened 25 to 30 years ago. They couldn't let it go. They were angry. They were upset. It controlled them. I was meeting with one person a few years ago. They were in their 60s and they were still remembering something that happened when they were six. That person, and in both of those scenarios, the people who had done the offense were long gone from the earth. Died years earlier. And they just couldn't let it go. Anger is a bitterness that takes root and gets stronger and it will destroy. And he says, if you're even angry towards your brother, it's the same thing as murder. That's not love. Let me read that again. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in him. If you have been gracious to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And accepted his forgiveness of your sin. In the same way you're to forgive others. And not be angry. That's how we demonstrate our love. Here's the point. Whether I actually murder someone, hate someone, or simply withhold love from someone, the end result is the same. There's a selfish lack of love or care or value to another's life. And John says that this person does not have eternal life. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let me just clarify something here. In the original language, this is not talking about you dying for somebody. He's not saying that you just need to go kill yourself for someone else. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is very clear. John brings this subject back into a positive light. It's the action of love that is observed. What does the child of God that truly possesses love do? He lays down his life for another. He's not saying that he dies, although some would do just that. He simply makes the point that he doesn't turn his back on people, especially those who are a part of the body of Christ. And this is a principle that is throughout the scriptures. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Our, we are to practice doing good, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know, maybe you've had this thought before. It's hard for me to do the good to them because they, they just keep making poor choices. I don't want to help them anymore because I've already helped them enough. If I, if I do this for them, they're just going to abuse it and take advantage of it. Anybody else think, think those thoughts in helping others? I have. And I'm reminded, he says, if we have opportunity to do good, it's like forgiving someone. How, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone? Just the first three, or four times? Or does God's words say? Seventy times seven? So four 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 hundred we're we're done. No. Nope. It's the principle of you keep forgiving because it's the right thing to do. It's the biblical thing to do. So how long do I have to help someone just because I well, I think we can love with parameters and give it parameters, but the bottom line is we continue to help. And do good. And sometimes we need the wisdom of others and the help of others and the input of others and the God's word to decide what that looks like. But he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Are we willing to do good to those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ and to those who are not? It might be the only picture of Jesus that they ever see. Verse 17, I think this is where the rubber meets the road here in our text in 1 John. Verse 17 says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We see there's needs, but nope, sorry, (laughs) done my share. Someone else's turn says, how does the love of God abide in you? We could take the time and go into James chapter 2, but the reality is if we know Jesus, we should show others that we know Jesus through our love for them, our giving to them. James 2 teaches us all about that. If we turn a brother in need, in a way, how does the love of God dwell in us? There's a lot that be said about that. I think oftentimes when I have a need... How do I feel when I feel like nobody responds to it? Let's just be honest. You have a need and you kind of express the need to those around you and nobody kind of jumps on it. I've gotten angry at times. I've sensed your anger at times when you've had circumstances and you feel like nobody's helping. In our flesh, we feel like we deserve it. In our flesh, we want it. But now you're on the other end. You have the ability, but choose not to. He says, How does the love of God dwell in you? I've thought about that over times, many times over the years. This is a church, right? So in Ephesians chapter 4, he gives the guidelines of what a pastor is to do. He gave some pastors and teachers and so forth. Really comes down to just a couple simple things. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. My job is to equip those of you in front of me through the word of God to carry on the gospel and the work that God has called us to, right? Any argument there? Is it my job to change all the light bulbs although I'm willing to do that? No. Is it my job to do all the painting around here though I'm willing to do that? No, because it's all of us. It's all of us that should be working together. Let me put myself in the text. I've made, the known, I've made this need known 17,000 times. Where is everybody? I have that thought. Anybody else? Because we deserve it. We want it. We want, we want people to respond. But when it comes to our daily living and being a picture of who Jesus Christ is, he says, if you can do good and you're choosing not to do it, how does the love of God dwell in you? Simple, short answer? It don't. It don't. Verse 18. Last verse. It says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So, if I could rewrite verse 18, which I can't, <laughs> But if I could just like rewrite it to make it say what I really think it says. It would be something like this. You who claim to be a believer. Yeah, you, 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 you. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because remember, everybody's a Christian. The question is, are you a Christ follower? Those of you who are truly believers. Who are part of the family of God. Don't just say that you have a love for one another. Prove it. By your actions. And so, do this according to the truth. That's what I do not want to say. But that'd be a little blunt on it. But God's word is blunt. So it comes down to a lot of times is, what does our love for God look like? And how is it demonstrated and exemplified in how we treat those around us? Honestly, I've said it a hundred times over the last ten years. We should love one another in the body of Christ like no one else. We should. I'm human, I'm fleshly, I don't always do a good job of it. But we should love one another, especially those of you who are in this body of Christ. We should. Amen? Amen. I've said a thousand times over the years, if I see someone arguing with another one, I'm going I'm to stop it. I want to stop it anyway. But we shouldn't have division. This should be a place that when the world is full of chaos and disorder and confusion, we ought to be able to come to church and find love for one another here. It's chaos outside these walls. There should be encouragement inside these walls. The junk that goes on at work shouldn't take place in the body of Christ. And as much as I can control that, I will. I will. Because this ought to be a place of love. And if there is sinfulness taking place, I'm going to address it. That's my job as a pastor. But the reality is, I want to see God's love not just be here, but flow from here into the world that we live in. Right? I've asked this question over the years, and I still ask ask it all the time to myself, if not publicly. Churches are closing up all around us. We've seen four in our area in the last year. But if someone were to come and put a chain on our doors, and our doors were to be locked for the last time, who in this community would miss us? Maybe each other would. We'd miss each other, right? Because we're family, so to speak. But what if our community would miss us? What impact have we made in our community? How do they know that we love God? I mean, they're, they're programmed to hate what we stand for. That's the unsaved world. But what have we done to show them the love of Christ in the world that we live in? Amen? It's a good question, right? Let's pray about that. Because the whole, the whole idea of 1 John 3 here is that we're to love one another, especially those in the body of Christ. But we need to let this love flow into the world that we live in to see people come to know Jesus. That's what they need, right? Let's work on that this new year. Let's work on showing Jesus' love to a lost world. Let's practice it inside first. Yes, we have difference of opinions. You have different thoughts and feelings towards what's going on. Yes, reality. But I appreciate somebody that you can have a conversation with and understand that we're different, but we're still we love each other and we're friends. There's a million subjects that we might be divisive about, but there's one that overrides all of it, and that's God's love. Right? This should be true. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And I pray, God, that we would be honest with ourselves this morning. Are we loving to others and to each other as we ought? Lord, really, that is the the most important question of the moment. Do we love you as we ought? And does that love overflow into loving others as we ought? Foremost in the body of Christ, but then it overflowing into the world that we live in. God, would you work in our hearts this morning? May we be honest about ourselves. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed just ask for just for a moment no one be looking around no one be getting up or anything but every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard from God's word every week we hear a message but how would God have us to respond to it do we love others as we ought because until we get the vertical love right till we love God as we ought we'll never be able to love others horizontally as we ought So that's the question I want to close with this morning. Based on our actions, and what we've read from 1 John 3, 11 through 18, is our love for God and others what it should be? You and God know the answer to that. say, Pastor Ken, this morning, if I'm honest with myself, there's some things that need to change. I haven't loved others as I ought. I need to love God more. And that love needs to overflow into the world that I live in through my actions, through my words. As I said there in that text, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Our conduct is how we live. Our actions, reactions, our words, our thoughts, what we say, what we do. Does it reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love working in us? Say, Pastor Ken, some things that need to change, would you pray for me this morning? Yes. In the front, in the back, the sides. Several of you nodding your heads. I think it's all around the whole auditorium. We're all in the same boat. We have some things to work on this new year. We have some things to change. And just know that you cannot do it by yourself. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need God's help to to get victory in these areas. In our flesh, we are way, way not able to live the life that God has called us to. So can I just challenge you, those who've Raise your hand, your heart, your nod, your head towards the Lord this morning just to take a moment and pray. James tells us to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. God, forgive me for not loving as I ought to love. God's word reminds us that if we ask for his forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive when we seek. So we know to do with something. We're not doing it. We need to confess it as sin. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. Lord, many of us across the auditorium, Lord, myself included, we need to do a better job of, Lord, first of all, loving you. And then that love flowing into loving others in the body of Christ and then outside the body. May we love you as we ought. So Lord, I pray that you be with each person who's raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Lord, I pray that you just be with each one who's this is their prayer, that Lord, they might love correctly. That you give victory, Lord. Might we sense your presence at work in our own lives. Thank you for how you worked this morning. Lord, I pray you grant victory in this area. And that a world around us, Lord, that hates Christianity and what we stand for the hates the truth might overwhelmingly see your love in and through us and might turn their hearts towards you, Lord. So, Lord, work in our hearts. May you be glorified in all that's said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.